Welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio here on this chilly Sunday in the Rocket City of Huntsville, Alabama. I'm your host, Gertie Armin. We always love coming to you every Sunday on BAMS Radio. And I've got my two cohorts with me. One, of course, in the Port City of Mobile. He is the wizard behind the curtain and, of course, the co-host and producer of this show, Thomas Watts. And in the lovely city of Birmingham, uh, the former Alabama Crimson Tide offensive lineman, member of the 1992 National Champions from 89 to 93, he wore the crimson jersey, and that's William Redfish Barger. William, uh, good good evening to you, sir. I know uh, we're down the stretch to the early signing period. It's all going to be putting pen to paper on Wednesday, and I think uh, you followed this a long time, so have I. These are the, uh, I think everybody's ready to get this over with. These are these these the dog days of recruiting in the final um, moments before this early signing date uh, last year and this year. A lot of angst, let's just say, among the fan base. Yeah, you know, I think it's probably carried over a little bit from National Signing Day, the, the, the real National Signing Day in February of last year, Drew. But, you know, if, if somebody could come out, you know, if, if, you know, Nick Saban, the Santa Claus, could come to me right now and say that uh, if you'll just be patient and wait till Feb, the first Wednesday in February, um, I'll, I'll bring you the, uh, the best wide receiver in college football for 2018 and the best freshman, true freshman DB um, in college football for 2018. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and just wait for it because uh, that's what he delivered last year on a, on a national signing day that basically most Alabama fans, um, you know, thought was a letdown. So, you know, I don't understand that part of it. Again, you know, you, you really can't gauge – a recruiting class until you're two or three years down the road on the backside of it. Um, you know, everybody still tries to point to that 2008 class, and, and there was a lot of, you know, it was a class that I felt like was top-heavy. It was very good, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for seven or eight players. But there were over, I think it was right at 15 or 16 players in that class that never saw the field or transferred out or got kicked out of the program. So, you know, it really wasn't as good from top to bottom as people like to give it credit for. I think the, uh, you know, the 2007 class is going to, 2017 class, yeah, excuse yeah. me, is going to eventually blow it out of the water. And, uh, you know, Alabama still has a chance to do it again, um, you know, this year. And uh, also they're off to a great start for the 2020 class, already sitting with the number one class in the country for 2020 you know, with some really great players in it. So, you know, like I said, um, a lot of these players um, that turn out being, you know, great players for Nick Saban, you know, let's don't forget Quinnen Williams, you know, four years ago was the 17th best defensive tackle in the country for a lot of right. people. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, you know, you know, um, you know, nobody really wanted uh, Deontay Cornbread Brown. I think Alabama beat out Tennessee and Mississippi State for him. Um, you know, it's taken him a while to get his weight under control and, and show up on the field. But, you know, I think everybody will agree that Alabama offensive line was better this year with, with him, you know, with number 65 at left guard. So it's not always these high-level five-star players that, that end up being the backbone of the program. And, you know, there's another component, you know, that once somebody gets them on campus, how they get developed is really just as much, if not more so, important than how good these kids are coming out of high school. And there's nobody better at it, in my opinion, um, in developing these guys to their max potential than Nick Saban is. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's true. And uh, I, I remember uh, hearing from sources close to the staff that uh, Bo Davis was the defensive line coach, and he felt like uh, that uh, Quinnen Williams was the second-best defensive lineman behind Rashawn Gary, or even Rashawn Gary's equal. And Gary, I, you know, he, was, he had a good career at Michigan, but I didn't think it was dominant. I certainly don't think he came close in his career to putting the kind of season together that we've seen out of Quinn Williams this year, William. No, you know, like I said, the injury bugs is, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's been good when he's been healthy. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, he's going to end up probably being a, um, you know, a late first round draft pick, but certainly not the, you know, the top 10 guy that a lot of people projected him early. And, um, you know, that you can say, well, you know, maybe the development program at Michigan is not what it's supposed to be. But, you know, you, you can't really blame that on Michigan when, when a guy has, you know, his body failing as many times as Gary has. You know, it's kind of the same, 
you know, um, school of thought that was attached to Josh Jacobs going into this year. I mean, he flashed, in, you know, in limited appearances in his first two years. You know, everybody saw the potential, but his, you know, his body just failed him one time after another. You know, after this year, he's been totally healthy, and now, you know, more people than not think he's Alabama's best running back. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, and uh, speaking of that, I mean, Alabama's still got the number one class in the country right now, consensus, William. I know uh, Clay Webb didn't go their way, and neither did Kevon Tibido, but uh, the, the beautiful thing about this is that uh, Alabama has still got all the bases covered. I mean, they, they've got Darian Dalcourt committed. He's going to sign on Wednesday, and we believe he's going to be an early enrollee. They have a, a solid, a really good offensive line class uh, that they've, they've got committed, and it could be great. And I know the great could come from Wednesday when the most important prospect, I think, left on their board, uh, the number one left tackle, in our opinion, in the country, Evan Neal from IMG Academy, a one-time commitment to Alabama a couple years ago for about a week will make his decision known, and uh, I think we're all uh, hearing that Evan Neal is going to sign with Alabama. Well, and, and again, I, I do think he's probably the most important guy left on the board, just you know, from a needs standpoint, and um, you know, he's got a chance to, uh, you know, kind of like you saw a guy we've already talked about, Deontay Brown. You know, if he can reshape his body and keep his weight under control. I mean, the sky's the limit for him. Um, you know, Alabama's already got another really good offensive tackle, um, you know, in this class committed and Amari Kite from, from right down the road in Thompson High School. Um, he's looked very good, very smooth and polished at the uh, Alabama-Mississippi All-Star Game practices. You know, I, I do think he's a guy that I'm really looking forward to see um, you know, this, this spring, probably more so in August after he goes through, you know, two of the off-season programs, you know, the winter and the summer program. Because that's really the only thing left that, that he's missing uh, to be an SEC-caliber offensive tackle um, is to kind of reshape his body, get a little bit stronger. He probably needs to work on, you know, finishing blocks and, and, and becoming a little bit more of a dog, you know, have, have a little bit more of a mean streak in him. <clears throat> but, you know, the, uh, and I think that's another thing that's worth noting, you know, for this 2019 class, depending on how it all shakes out on Wednesday, there could be, you know, at least three more guys, uh, maybe more, um, that decide to sign and enroll early on Wednesday. But as it stands right now, Nick Saban has 19 prospects in this 2019 class. You're not only signing early, but are enrolling early. And we'll get that jump start. You know, some of them will get on campus in time to go through bowl practice. Um, they'll certainly be around for the winter program, spring practice. And, you know, that's huge, I think. And, you know, for, for guys that have a chance to, uh, you know, develop and get on the field, I mean, it's it's not real common to see guys, you know, it just speaks to how talented they really are. But it's, it's not the norm to see guys like Patrick Sertain and Jalen Waddell it didn't show up till June, basically, and end up having the impact on this season that they had as true freshmen. Um, you know, tip of the cap to the coaches, number one, but also those two guys were, you know, better than advertised, in my opinion, by their rankings. So uh, I think the fact that Nick Saban has made it a priority to get so many players to enroll early, forego their spring semesters in high school, the senior prom, all that good stuff, and uh, go through the winter program and spring practice just really, um, you know, gives them a leg up on, on the competition. You know, it could also change for, um, you know, some other programs as well between now and Wednesday. But just, you know, for comparison's sake, um, seems, you know, considering that, that Kirby Smart in Georgia is the current Bama boogie, Bama boogeyman for so many Alabama fans, um, I think I added it up the other day, and I think they've got seven right now. Um, you know, maybe if they hit on some guys that they aren't committed to right now by Wednesday, it might get up as high as 10. But still, that's, that's half as many as Alabama's going to have. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, and I think uh, one of the main guys that's uh, on campus this weekend that they're going to shore up and get him to sign is Justin Ibogby. Uh, Ibogby has uh, not really received as much buzz as some of these other prospects because his story is kind of like Quinn Williams. He's considered by most to be a four-star prospect. He played on a high school team at Forest Park, Georgia, 
it wasn't very good. Uh, the competition is not considered very good, but I know you've watched this film, William, and your forte is offensive and defensive lineman. I watched it, and I was blown away by his size and speed. Certainly he's raw, and he's going to need to be refined, but I, I felt like I saw some Julius Peppers in him watching him on film. I think he's athletic. I think he's underrated, and I think Tennessee would love to have the kid. Georgia tried, but Kirby Freeze was denied this time. Uh, couldn't get involved, but I think Justin Bogby uh, is a big-time prospect, and Braylon Ingraham. I mean, a big part of the story is going to be for Alabama uh, in the late signing period in February. I call it late now, but the second signing day. is going to be, of course, keeping Byron Young in the fold because it sounds like he's not going to sign on the 19th. And then to get uh, Ismail Sopcher. But uh, I know that they this lacks a junior college transfer. But when you look at a guy like Justin Ibogbe, uh the eye test tells you uh, that, once again, this may be somebody in the ratings process that uh, wasn't done justice. Well, no, he wasn't early on. I mean, he was probably misevaluated just as badly as Antonio Alfano was. <clears throat> you know, Bogby's probably um, the second fastest rising defensive line prospect right now. You know, he's gone from, you know, being a 250 caliber guy back in the summer to now being a top 100 guy. Um, you know, I think when you look at his senior film, uh, you know, good competition or not. Um, you know, he's got, you know, excellent get-off. He's quick twitch. He plays with the mean streak. He's, he's got a high motor. Um, you know, he, he was, you know, 260-ish this time last year. Now he's in the 280 range. Um, you know, he's got a chance. Um, well, no, he doesn't have a chance. He's enrolling early, so he's not going to be participating in any of the All-Star games um, if he signs Wednesday and comes in as expected. So there's probably not going to be another opportunity to – you know, see him get a bump in the rankings. But there was a lot of chatter um, after his senior year that he was going to press hard for five-star status. In my opinion, he is a five-star prospect. Um, you know, it has all the things that you look for. Um, you know, I think that, that Alabama, especially if they can – and I don't think there should be a lot of panic, um, you know, with Byron Young. I think he was upfront and honest from the get-go when he committed to Alabama that he wasn't going to sign early, that he wanted to take visits. So I think when you know that going into it, you you, you know, there's not really a mistrust factor there. Certainly it's a concern. But, you know, those, those three guys, um, in my opinion, have a chance to, uh, you know, make this Alabama defensive line class extremely special. You know, they're all guys that can that can factor in early. I'm not saying that they're all going to be starters or even backup guys. But, you know, I think Alfano does have an opportunity with going through, um, you know, winter, spring, and summer. And then, you know, fall camp in August, I do think he has a chance to, you know, be maybe the first guy off the bench or, or press for a starting position. He's that good. I mean, we're talking about a guy – that from a testing standpoint, there's, there's two guys in this current commitment class that when you look at their testing numbers, they're, they're just absolutely off the charts for people at their position. Um, Antonio Alfano is one. Um, the only person that I can find that even, you know, compares to him um, is what J.J. Watt did coming out of Wisconsin for the NFL Combine. I'm not talking about as a senior in high school. I'm talking about after he was in the Wisconsin program for several years. And then on the back end of the defense, you've got Dax Hill, um, you know, a guy that, that runs a 4-3-40, has a 44-inch vertical jump. You know, on paper and potential has a chance to be in a very, uh, you know, deep and, and, you know, tradition-rich position of the Nick Saban era at Alabama, has a chance to be the best safety prospect, Um of the Nick Saban era, but, you know, from, from a big people standpoint, you know, Antonio Alfano is just off the charts. You know, he's 285 pounds, you know, has, has run a, a high 4.740 before, you know, got a 36, 36-inch vertical jump, can dunk a basketball any way you want him to, and even more so important to me, you know, has a DB time. Um, in the 20-yard split, you know, ran a, a laser time 4.2, uh, eight, I believe, you know, 20 yard split, which is just ridiculous. Um, and, and, a, and an elite, you know, 5 10 5 shuttle time as well. So there's some real, real special players 
um, already on board with this class and, you know, the potential to have quite a few more special ones join in. Yeah, and uh, you bring up a good point with Antonio Alfano. Uh, I, he, and he has, it seems to have the right kind of makeup and work ethic, too, uh, to be a part of this Alabama program. I mean, uh, when you look at him from a measurable standpoint, William, I know Alabama signed a lot of great defensive linemen in, in the Nick Saban era, and they've had uh, a lot of good, uh, really good ones, but he has a chance from a tool standpoint to be as good as any of them. Oh, you know, look, I'm not saying, now I will say this, he's 25 pounds bigger, um, you know, is, is criminally underrated, even though they brought him up into the top 50 and he's now considered a five-star, um, but but totally puts to shame um, a guy like Jonathan Allen's testing numbers coming out of high school um, as a senior. Now, Jonathan Allen was, I mean, nobody, everybody knew that he wasn't going to stay a Jack linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they knew he was going to get bigger and end up being a five-technique defensive end. But I'm, I'm just telling you, um, you know, from a, from a number standpoint and from watching his film, and albeit it's New Jersey high school football, but he's treated everybody up there, you know, like it is New Jersey high school football. But there is some great film um, out there. Um, he was matched up, I think, in October against a four-star, and I can't remember the kid's name, but he's a four-star offensive tackle commitment to Notre Dame. That's right, that's right. And, and I, I'm i not going to name any names because I, I, I don't think people should really, um, you know, ding this kid for getting thrown out there at offensive tackle. Uh, but there was a pretty famous bad performance by a couple of Alabama offensive linemen in the Iron Bowl under Mike Shula several years ago. No. And, and that's how Antonio Alfano treated this four-star tackle commitment for Notre Dame. I mean, he couldn't slow him down, couldn't stay in front of him, got run over, run around. But this is a special, special player. And I think you've known me long enough, Drew. I don't – you probably haven't heard me talk about a defensive line prospect like this since the 2007 year about Marcel Darius. But that's what we're dealing with here. Yeah, you know, I really that that that, that probably uh, that's as this is probably as much as I've ever heard you go since you called me one time and told me that Marcel Darius was a stone killer. Basically, Unless it was on the other side of the ball talking about Jonah Williams. <laughs> right, that too. You were you were very high on Jonah Williams as well. Both those guys that developed into first round draft picks. Marcel, I still think holds the distinction of being the highest drafted Nick Saban Alabama player. I think he went third overall. Now you're correct. You're correct. Quinn and Williams may have a chance, and then Tua Tungvaluwa. Pretty, pretty good for a former three-star guy. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we may see Quinn and Williams and Tua Tungvaluwa make a run at those kind of honors as well uh, in the future, in a couple of future drafts for uh, the University of Alabama, no question about it. Um, but, uh, and, but I will say this. Uh, when you look at this uh, defensive line group that's committed thus far, uh, when you look at Antonio Alfano, Justin Ibogbe, Braylon Ingraham, Byron Young. The guy that gets lost in the shuffle to me, and I saw him play in person, I know you've watched his tape, William, is DJ Dale uh, at Clay Chalkville. I think he's criminally underrated, too, and is a guy that's going to be a quality player at Alabama. Well, there, there's a reason that Alabama took him as early as they did, and there's a reason why um, he's, he's you know been a, been a kind of an anchor in this class. And, and again, you know, he's a guy, too, that you know, played last year injured, you know, got a little bit overweight. Um, but but when, you, when you follow that part of the storyline and you watch what kind of player he is, you know, e- even at this same stage, I think he's probably, you know, because of his body type and what he looks like in his uniform, a lot of people are going to tag him with the nose guard designation. But that's almost as stupid as saying that Quentin Williams is just a nose guard. He can play all the interior defensive line positions. He's even quick twitching up, even though he doesn't have the length, you know, to slide out there and play some five-technique defensive end. But he was a guy that showed up at Alabama's camp this summer. He was, you know, 15 or 20 pounds lighter than his junior film and was unblockable. Nobody could deal with him, and that includes Clay Webb and Pierce Quick and some of the other ones. So, you know, he's a guy, I think, that, that has a really good chance, Drew, of following the same career path at Alabama, you know, once they reshape that body, um, you know, certainly I think he's going to be a guy that, that hangs around on the interior of the D-line, but, but he does have a chance, in my opinion, 
to be a Deron Payne type disruptive force, uh, you know, down there inside along the line of scrimmage. Yeah, he does. I'm, I'm really excited about him. I mean, this is a guy that they they played at running back on the goal line uh, in the short yardage situation at Clay Chalkville. Very agile kid. Uh, watched him play for Drew Gilmer this year. Really excited about his potential uh, in this recruiting class, no doubt about it. And uh, I think, uh, and, and then, you know, and it looks like uh, they've already had some of the early enrollees appear near the practice field, uh, on the practice field, I should say. We've already seen, uh, you know, some uh, some highlights of Paul Tyson throwing the football. He's already out there, William, uh, uh, as, uh, as part of this class, and not surprisingly, also Pierce Quick with the offensive line. And there'll be more in the near future, but uh, including, I believe, Amari Kite, uh, who will be out there uh, in short order uh, and be on the field. Uh, as you said, if there's as many as to be believed, it'll be a record. I think the record previously has been 12. It looks like that, uh, you know, three quarters of this class is going to be early enrollees. Yeah, and again, you know, you you just can't, you know, put a price tag on that for what that does to, um, you know, the kids' development. You know, they, they get a taste of, um, you know, a semester of college from the classroom standpoint, it gives them a chance to, you know, learn how to manage their time. Um, cause you know, it's a, it's, it's a pretty hectic schedule in the spring. Um, you know, a week after, um, you know, the national championship game, which hopefully Alabama will be a part of, um, you know, they'll, they'll go into the, the winter conditioning program and get a taste of those 5 a.m. workouts. And, you know, really a couple weeks after that ends, they segue into spring practice. And, uh, you know, there's there's just a – you can't put a price tag on how that helps their development. You know, it gives them a jump start. You know, we've seen guys, um, you know, just in the last couple of years that have been ultra successful for Alabama. Um, you know, the two that jump off the page to me were Jonah Williams and Cam Robinson, you know, both – both came and went through the winter conditioning program, went through spring practice, and, you know, ended up being starters right out of the gate, you know, as true freshmen. So it really, really is a benefit. I think it's something that Nick Saban kind of puts a priority on. Um, you know, if, if you know, they, they got time and they're not halfway across the country, um, you know, he still allows them to go back and participate in their senior proms if that's something that they choose to do. But, um you know, if, if their first experience on a football, or excuse me, on a college campus is, uh, you know, the same as mine was, they're going to be forgetting all about little Sally Jones and wanting to take them to the prom, and, and they'll be having a good time in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, there's no doubt that a lot of these kids can make impacts in the in the uh, coming season, and uh, they're, uh, it's going to be a great class. I know uh, some Alabama fans, it, I mean, you got to understand it all evens out. Last weekend we were talking – after Jeffrey Carter had flipped Alabama, and then maybe the best player in this class, Dax Hill, and everybody was sky high. Now that uh, Clay Webb has gone to Georgia and Kayvon Thibodeau has gone to Oregon, and if you read the tea leaves, these, but neither one of these should have been shocking. So that's why the angst from the Bama Nation kind of amuses me because they need to just calm down. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, great players out there. I, I know there's still a lot of now worry about, uh, you know, uh, of uh, – uh, you know, uh, the, uh, Sanders, of course, who's a, a great – Trey Sanders, the great running back, and then the Kobe Dean. But Alabama has uh, contingency plans for uh, Trey Sanders, which would be a guy like D.J. Williams, who uh, from people I trust and talk to, they think he's nearly the equal of Sanders, if not the equal. And then, again, they've already got, you know, Shane Lee uh, and then Christian Williams uh, and then a guy like Henry Tioto out there uh, who could play inside linebacker. So, they, you know – all is not lost. Alabama is uh, – this is not Mike Shula. This is not putting all your eggs in one basket and then coming up snake eyes. This is – Alabama knows what they're doing here, William, and that I think they've – I think this – I know last year was not good as far as down the stretch, and that's why Coach Saban made some changes, but I think Alabama's in really strong shape still right now. Well, and also, too, I mean, you just jarred my memory. I had totally forgotten about Jeffrey Carter. I'm pretty sure he's an early enrollee as well. Um, hopefully they'll hear something in the next couple of days uh, because I do think he is an early enrollee as well. Maybe they'll hear something from uh, um, Patrick Sertain Sr.'s latest uh, protege and Jordan battle, the safety prospect from uh, South Florida. 
you know, he's somebody that's still in play. And, you know, if, they, if they're able to add him, uh, you know, to Carter and Dax Hill, I mean, this will be two years in a row that, that they've hit it out of the park with the DBs. Um, I think this year is going to more than make up for, uh, you know, some of the deficiencies and the guys that they lost last year on the defensive line. Um, you know, this could end up being the, you know, if they add Sosher um, in February, this could be the best college defensive line recruiting class I've ever seen put together. So there's a lot of things to be, um, you know, kind of upbeat and, and uh, you know, optimistic about for Alabama fans. You know, not to mention that, uh, you know, they've started bowl prep for Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, they've got a, a unique challenge ahead of themselves with that. I mean, it's, it's been a minute since Alabama's defense has had to deal with a, uh, you know, a quarterback that's as dynamic and as slippery as Kyler Murray is. So, you know, guys like Christian Miller and um, Antonio, I mean, uh, uh, Anthony Jennings are going to have, you know, to place a premium on setting that edge and not falling, you know, not falling for eye fakes and, uh, you know, staying at home and making sure that he doesn't have a place to, you know, squirt out of once the pocket breaks down. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot to, to look forward to. And I can tell you, Alabama's still got several guys on the board that they would like to bring in. William just brought up one of them, Jordan Battle, uh, the safety uh, from St. Thomas Aquinas. He's a great coverage guy, a free safety type. You know, the thought was that he would go public Friday or this weekend to Alabama. I think he's going to wait now until uh, the signing day on the 19th. But I do think he will get the green light. I still feel like Alabama's in very strong shape to land Jordan Battle on signing day. I think they also want to get Daxton Hill involved. And I think, you know, what that may entail is uh, one of their commitments, like a, a Christian Williams from Daphne High School. From what I'm hearing, DeMarco Helms is still going to sign with Alabama. From uh, Even though his high school coach uh, was hired by Mike Loxley from DeMath and going to coach running backs, I think DeMarco still wants to come to Alabama. We don't know yet about Keelan Robinson. He came on his visit. Uh, whether he, he may sign earlier or wait till late, we'll see on Keelan Robinson uh, but uh, and if he's going to be a part of this class. But I think as of right now he will be, but I still wouldn't be surprised if the departure of somebody like a Christian Williams. Uh, but Christian Williams uh, is, uh, you know, I, if you get a guy like Jordan Battle, that's really not – I wouldn't consider that a loss at all. No, and, and you know, if they can circle back around and, and uh, you know, convince Chris Bogle, uh, you know, to come yeah. in, um, right. you know, I don't think anybody will be shedding any tears over the loss of Thibodeau either. No, that's a great point. And if anybody <clears throat> saw Chris Bogle in his uniform on his visit to Alabama, uh, that dude has got arms that go on for days. And, William, I know you have been very outspoken in the fact that you thought Chris Bogle, and I think the Alabama coaching staff has told people this privately as well, has more upside than Thibodeau, and you liked him better as a player. Well, you know, I felt like that Thibodeau was probably more SEC ready to play right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the gamble there, when, when you see somebody like that, is are they at their ceiling right now as well? Is what you see, you know, is what you see now what you're going to get kind of in the, you know, the way that, that Ross Pierce Baker has, has kind of panned out and turned out as a player? I mean, he's basically the same guy he was as a true freshman at Alabama. Nothing wrong with that. You know, he's a really good player. He, he just was maxed out on, you know, his upside when he stepped on campus. And I think that's, you know, the, the gamble that you take, um, you know, with a guy like Thibodeau. You know, he's going to walk into a situation at Oregon, and I certainly think this played into his decision where, you know, they're going to build him up to kind of be the, you know, the cornerstone of their defense. Um, he's going to be playing in a league where, you know, he, he's probably going to factor in early and often. Had he come to Alabama, you know, he was going to have to battle guys, you know, like uh, Chris Allen. Uh, Tim Williams is going to be back 100% next year. You know, Anoma, you know, after another year in the strength and conditioning program, will be hell on wheels next year. So um, it's a little bit different, um, you know, playing time. Um, that could be promised there. Um, you know, maybe Thibodeau's that good where he could have come in and moved past some of those people. I don't believe so. But um, certainly I think the, the Bogle kid's best football is still in front of him. Um, you know, needs much like a Noma, needs a year in the weight room and, and probably to get adjusted to, um, you know, not just being able to run by SEC offensive tackles like he did at the high school level. Those are, you know, pretty damn good athletes themselves. So, 
Uh, but, but I do think that if they can add a guy like that, um, you know, it, it will really soften the blow on losing a guy like Thibodeau. Yeah, it really will. And, I mean, those are two guys, as we said, uh, uh, Jordan Battle Kay, uh, and then uh, uh, Chris Bogle, two of them, I think, that are on a, a six-guy list. We've already gone over Evan Neal being maybe the most important one uh, left on the board for Alabama. And then Trey Sanders and then DJ Williams, that they're – uh, that's an either-or kind of thing, but Trey Sanders is certainly uh, the, uh, the the first choice, uh, I think, among the coaching staff uh, and and the fan base. Uh, then, so I, those those are guys to watch, no question about that. And uh, and going forward, and I think, and then Ismail Sobcher, he's a very important guy to to kind of be the cherry on top of the Sunday, William, for the defensive line class, as you said, that you believe on paper could be the the best one you've ever seen signed by one team. Should he? add his signature in February. Yeah, and, you know, and there's also, you know, plenty of guys that we, you know, we really haven't touched on that, you know, plays the same position, um, you know, as what Thibodeau and, you know, Bogle, you know, would have or might possibly still factor in on. You know, they, they, they've got a really good guy. Um, again, he needs a year in the weight room um, that, that could be a really good edge rusher for him going forward. And, and uh, Kevin Harris from the Atlanta um, From Grayson suburbs. High School, that's right. Yep, that's right. That's right. You know, that's the, um, you know, the the Georgia excuse right now is they really don't care when they lose a kid uh, from Grace, and even though they lost, you know, who some people consider the number one offensive tackle and, uh, prospect in the country from Grace and uh, the Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee and Juana Morris, but you know, Kevin Harris is a guy that that you know could factor in there. He's got that great length. Um, you know, King Matuika, whatever, however the hell you pronounce his last name, is another guy that I think could factor in as a, you know, an edge rusher down the road for Alabama. I think he's a guy that could play multiple positions. You know, could possibly end up going the, you know, Deshaun Hand and Jonathan Allen route and turn into a five-technique defensive end. So there's, you know, we could spend all night talking about all these players in this class, which, um, you know, it doesn't ever really matter to me how – you know, the final rankings turn out. A lot of people were disappointed, you know, in, in how the class last year turned out. But, you know, anytime Nick Saban wants to deliver a Jalen Waddle, a Patrick Sertain, and an Abaye Anoma to me on National Signing Day, you know, I'm, t- I'm putting my empty bowl out on the table asking for more. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you this. You just brought up a good point. If Kirby Smart is such a machine and – you know, and, and, and they're the, the it school. And I know the excuse with Owen Papo is he's too small, blah, 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 blah. But they didn't sign Owen Papo. They didn't sign Wanye Morris. They didn't sign Kevin Harris. They didn't sign King Makuda. And so there's been several kids in the state of Georgia, that, and they didn't get, they're not going to get Justin Ibogby. So, so I would say this. They may end up beating Alabama, and they did on Clay Webb, no question about it. And we'll see what happens with Trey Sanders and Kobe Dean. But I think sometimes uh, fans focus too much on those battles and don't look at the big picture. Well, let me ask you this. What's always been the, the talking point about how good potentially the Georgia job, head coaching job could be? What, what's always been the number one, you know, caveat that people say why that job could be so good in-state talent as we sit here right now kirby smart has only got three of the top 20 players in the state of georgia for 2009 now he's still got a chance to circle back around and maybe pick uh the wide receiver hazelwood back up that yeah Jaden hazelwood yeah yeah, yeah, but I mean that state has gotten raided unmercifully this year. Not not just by you know Alabama and Tennessee, but Michigan's come down and gotten Chris Hinton. Um, Ohio State has gotten a guy uh, that, that let's don't forget uh, the reason that Georgia got so involved with Clay Webb is because Henry Miller, um, who they felt like was the better center prospect, and a lot of other people do as well. Um, committed to Ohio State very early in the process, and despite what's happened with Urban Meyer, um, they were hoping that would uh, open the door back up for him, but it didn't. He's, he's reaffirmed his commitment to uh, Coach Day and, and plans on enrolling at Ohio State. But there's been 
Uh, Auburn, you know, has gone over and got. I will see if they hang on to them. But you know, Auburn's gone over there and gotten some good players out of the state of Georgia this year. So, um, you know, again, that, that's always kind of been the, the hallmark of building a program is building that fence around your state borders and, and keeping the best in-state talent at home. That's what helped Nick Saban uh, be so successful early at uh, both LSU and Alabama. But he, he's done a miserable job this year talking about Kirby Smart in keeping uh, the so-called elite in-state talent at Georgia um, at home. And, of course, if you bring that up to a Georgia fan, they're like, oh, we're a national brand. We recruit coast to coast. Kirby Smart hasn't signed a kid in four recruiting classes any further west than Texas. So how do you consider yourself a national brand? Yeah, exactly. No doubt about it. And Wanye Morris is a big miss because – He's a big-time left tackle, and Jeremy Pruitt coming in there, that shows me that Pruitt's going to be a big-time pain in the ass to Kirby Smart. See, what fans have to understand is Kirby Smart took over a program under Mark Rick. It was really, it's still a really good program. They were winning nine or ten games a year. And let's not get it twisted. Jeremy Pruitt took over a shithole in Knoxville, Tennessee. I mean, this was they didn't have any talent. And so everybody's talking about he went five and seven and all this stuff, but he didn't have much talent. And I, I still think if he, if he gets the talent level back up to where it needs to be, that he'll start beating Kirby Smart on the field. Because I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. I think Jeremy Pruitt's a better football coach and a better recruiter than Kirby Freeze. Well, look, look, at the, look at the dynamics of what's happening around the state of Georgia on the college football landscape. I mean, you've got, you know, Pruitt's put together a really good recruiting staff at Tennessee. Uh, you know, Muschamp has taken some players from the state of Georgia this year. Dabo always takes some. Um, Dan Mullen is probably going to be problematic for him. It remains to be seen if Willie Taggart's going to cause problems. But, you know, another guy that, that has always managed to uh, be a really good recruiter, and I bet he puts together a good recruiting staff um, in his second tenure at UNC Chapel Hill. Now you've got Mac Brown back up there in North Carolina. Um, and, and, you know, they could cause problems as well going forward. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it's not going to be a walk in the park. Yeah, um, you know, if they keep going to Atlanta and, you know, playing in New Year's Day bowl games and stuff, but I, I really don't think until, you know, Kirby Smart can get a national championship, and to do that he's going to have to slay the dragon. Um, and he's, he's failed miserably, in my opinion, um, I think I looked at it the other day, and don't get me wrong, he's come out of the gate strong in both appearances against uh, his first two appearances at Alabama, but the halftime adjustments and the lack thereof, uh, I'm pretty sure he's been outscored 47-14 to 14, uh, or maybe 17 in uh, both of those second halves of the national championship game and then the SEC championship game that took place earlier this month. So I, I still think there's a lot of things – um, you know, maybe recruiting isn't one of them, but there's still a lot of things that he's got to improve on as a head coach. Um, and it remains to be seen if that's going to happen in the near future. Well, and I think one other guy that could be a little problematic, I think he's a good recruiter, and I think certainly he won't take the elite of the elite, but I still think he could be a pain in the ass as Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it's uh, it's interesting, too, because, I, you know, I've never lived in the state of Georgia, so I, I don't really pay that much attention to that rivalry, but it's 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 a little bit more important to Georgia fans than I actually uh, considered. You know, they, they kind of consider, um, you know, with, with Florida and, and Tennessee kind of, you know, fading to black over the last several years, that that's kind of a, a pressure point from them. Um, you know, especially now, too, that the, uh, you know, the option attack has gone out the window and Collins is going to come in and go, you know, a little spread, you know, pro-style mix on offense. Um, he's going to be coming after a lot of the same players. Right. And, you know, certainly that's, a, you know, that's an intriguing, uh, you know, it's kind of like the Stanford of the South um, in the state of Georgia. That's an intriguing place to go and certainly get a degree from for a lot of high academic kids in that state. It is, and I'm going to bring Thomas Watts into the conversation to talk a little bit of the SEC East and West dynamic and about Kirby Freeze. Well, th- there are a few things that need need to be realized here. For the first time in a good many years, the SEC East beat the SEC West in terms of head-to-head matchups. 
and it wasn't particularly close. But, you know, let's get into the whys of that. Look at the coaching staffs. Look at the coaches in the SEC West, and look at the coaching coaches and the coaching staffs in the SEC East. Outside of Alabama, are you really seeing anything that jumps out to you? I think Jimbo Fisher's going to make Texas A&M a power. I had Texas A&M a second in the SEC West already, so you know that ended up panning out. But even beyond those two, I'm not really intimidated by anything in the SEC West. I mean, I think it's very fair to say, in a lot of ways, Nick Saban has killed the SEC West. He, 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 he killed the West after killing the East. The East is now regenerating itself. Now, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 a weird, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, it's a weird Borg situation here. But anyway, you know, and what does this actually mean for Georgia? You know, you, you guys are doing a great job detailing. There are going to be guys coming in there and taking players. That's going to happen. I think the SEC East is, is, is a murderer's row moving forward. And here's the problem. First, yes, you... Kirby Smart deserves absolute credit for getting Georgia to where they are right now. They're, you know, a handful of plays away from a national championship and a college football playoff berth. Of course, it just so happens the handful of those plays came against the modern-day benchmark in Alabama. But the staffs that he competes against every year are better. They're solid. And for every Georgia fan that's beaten their chest about recruiting and whatnot, it needs to be said, and, and I will say this until I'm blue in the face, Kirby Smart's stats are functionally on par with what Mark Richt did at Georgia his first three years. Yeah. And, you know, I think Kirby Smart has a decent shot to uh, to beat Nick Saban. You know, we've seen that in two straight games. There's, there are obviously some glaring deficiencies. I will be very interested to see the, how the Georgia defensive coordinator replacement is handled, because that's really, you know, if you want to look around nationally, part of what's made Dabo Sweeney so successful is it's that even the he, coordinators. Yeah, exactly. He, his staff does not get rated mm-hmm. every year. You know, it's it's it, if it was if if college football was a video game, Nick Saban's been playing on super hard mode and crushing it compared to some of his chief competition. Well, Georgia now has to. He's going to have some staff changeover with Mel Tucker moving on. How does that play into this equation? You know, one of the things that I get a kick out of watching these interactions is this belief that, you know, Georgia's arrived. They're going to be a problem. The boogeyman is, has arrived to slay, you know, the God King, Nick Saban, and all that other insanity. Well, there's a little more that goes into it, and there is some, there are some things that are influenced by the presence of Nick Saban, but... You know, now think about it. Georgia's got to go through Dan Mullen every year, and I think Dan Mullen's going to get that program turned around. I, 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 I think, frankly, that Tennessee is going to be a thorn in the side of everybody until the donut Duke, the donut Duchess up there, and at the athletic director starts messing with it. And Jeremy Pruitt blows a gasket, but you know, Tennessee's going to be a problem. But I just, I don't, I don't see it. There's super talent there, but. There still are question. There's still questions of how everything's going to. All the pieces are going to fit together. And just one more example, and then I'll kick it back to you, Drew. Think about that fake punt call on fourth and eleven, and think about what it what it took. Kirby Smart already admitted he'd had that play for two years and decided to run it there. Well, I've watched that play a number of times. And I don't think Justin Fields was at all comfortable in that role. And oh, that, comes, that comes back to coaching and development. You know, wh- what are you going to do here? You, you, you are still there. You've got to replace some pieces. But, you know, this, this isn't a problem that's ma- magically gone away. And up until the point that, they, that Georgia got their heads kicked in by LSU, that Georgia team seemed listless. Now, you got to give Georgia credit because they righted the ship and started killing people and damn near killed Alabama and Atlanta. But, you know, so what? You didn't get it done, and the questions still remain. But anyway, that's just I just wanted to you know make bring up a few more facts that make the SEC East very interesting for the big, bad Georgia boogeyman. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. It's not going to be a layup, that's for sure. I think certainly 
and and a big wild card in that will be where Jalen Hurts ends up. You know, I've I've said that I thought he would wind up in Arizona, or they they had a good shot with Kevin Sumlin, but then there was some buzz at the end of this week about Florida, and of course, but that's an interesting dynamic because they have Felipe Franks coming back as the starter, and a lot of times God, he's terrible though. Yeah, he is awful. You're right. But, but don't you understand, a lot of times coaches don't want to upset their locker room if they have an incumbent starter returning and bring in a graduate transfer, though. Do you, but, but I do think he would be a fit at Florida. Oh, absolutely. But I, I would, I'd be willing to bet after watching the, uh, uh, the Georgia game and how they easily could have won that game. There, there's probably not too many people in that locker room that would be upset to see Frank sit in the bench. And, and, you know, something else, too, because they're they're hanging around. They haven't quite gotten, um, I guess, broken through yet. But, you know, they've, they've got better facilities than Georgia. Mm-hmm. But if, if everybody's favorite ballistic uh, defensive coordinator now head coach again for the second time, if Will Muschamp can win his bowl game, um, and he's got a really good recruiting staff over there in Columbia, That'll be nine wins for that South Carolina program this year. And like we saw with Steve Spurrier, you you win nine games a year and go to a bowl game, uh, South Carolina, you got a lifetime contract. You do. And and I will say this. You know what I would love? If Jalen Hurts went to Florida and then winked at Kirby when he was warming up. (laughs) In other words, Um, mess, mess with him a little bit. Okay. And also, too, you know, when Thomas was dissecting that fake punt failure, well, let's don't forget that uh, Fourth and Kirby had another epic special teams uh, fake attempt go awry down there in that ass whooping they took at LSU as well. It's one of the worst ill-conceived fake fake field goals I've ever seen. Yeah, it really was. There's no question about it. And but uh, and then but uh, as we wrap it up here, we're the last few minutes of the show. I wanted to ask you though about Henry, and I finally figured it out, William. I think I finally figured it out, and I got to thank uh, Ron Callahan of Go Vols 24/7. He spoke with a young man this summer. I believe it's Henry Tioto. That's what I think it is. And I wanted to ask you though. I know we talked about him being bigger and faster than the Kobe Dean. I know you've watched his film. What is your opinion of Henry Tioto? Um, I, I see a lot of C.J. Mosley in him. I mean, he's got a lot of range. I think he's a guy that could play inside or outside. You know, he's 6'2", 230, you know, runs a, a high four five forty. Um, you know, versus N'Kobe Dean, who's, you know, six foot with his shoes on and runs a four seven five. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, he's certainly a cerebral guy. I don't think he'll have any problems with the playbook. But, you know, it's basically Sean Dion Hamilton versus C.J. Mosley. I know which one of those two I would rather have. In a perfect world, I'd take both because Sean Dion Hamilton was a great player and, and, a, and a great leader for Alabama. Um, but, but you're just talking about, you know, one doesn't have any limitations, in my opinion, at that position, and the other one certainly does at the high school level. Uh, but, you know, you, you saw this year how guys that, that run extremely well, and, and, and albeit probably the, the needs to work on formation recognition and, you know, becoming better coverage guys against the pass and, and um, Mac Wilson and uh, Dylan Moses, but they're in a totally different stratosphere of athletes that, than the Kobe Dean is. Um, that's not really a guy you want matching up on five-star running backs coming out of the backfield that are four-four guys. Um, even if he does diagnose the uh, the coverage and the formation and all that other stuff, um, it's just a mismatch. But you know, I'd love to have both of them. But gun to my head, um, I would take you know, Henry T. Um, you know, over on the Kobe Dean if it was an either-or type situation. Like I said, I'd love to have both, but also. You know, it's probably going to come down to a, uh, you know, something that's unique in college football from a, a recruiting standpoint. Um, you know, the battle there, I think it's going to probably come down to Alabama and Tennessee. And uh, his lead recruiter at both schools are both fellow alumni from De La Salle, where he goes to high school out in California. You know, Tosh LePoy for Alabama and the former great NFL linebacker Kevin Sermon. So, um, that, that's kind of unique to college football recruiting. You don't really see that uh, very often at all. But you know, and I think that's going to be a great, great matchup down the stretch. 
Oh, yeah, it will be, no doubt. And I think uh, uh, Teoto, I know Tosh Report is going to be tough to beat for that kid. And I know he, especially if N'Kobe Dean goes to Georgia, the importance becomes immeasurable of getting that kid to the University of Alabama. And he's slated to visit, uh, you know, uh, in January uh, down the stretch of recruiting. Also, I believe uh, uh, Chris Bogle is on a visit to Miami this weekend. He is going to make his decision on January the 5th. And so we'll see. Uh, where he lands. I know Alabama, as we've said already, is very interested in him. And it's interesting because Alabama's at 24 commitments right now, but as we've said, there could be some attrition and some uh, movement there. Uh, We've always thought that uh, there could be as many as 28 signed by the University of Alabama. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens and uh, how many of these kids sign early. But going to be some interesting thoughts. And then, of course, uh, to to, uh, switch to a basketball conversation, Alabama, you know, taking out Arizona last week, uh, and then they've been off since for final exams. They will be in my rocket city of Huntsville on Tuesday against Liberty University, uh, who beat the same Georgia State team that vanquished Alabama by 26. So it's not going to be an easy situation, but hopefully it'll be another sellout at the Rocket City Classic, and we'll have full coverage of that. Also, on Friday, Alabama will return to Coleman Coliseum for their uh, final game before Christmas. They will play. Uh, the Penn State Nittany Lions, and we'll have coverage of that game as well as I will be traveling to Tuscaloosa to see the Crimson Tide. So hopefully Alabama can get a couple of big wins this week. They certainly need it. They're coming off of a, uh, of a uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the break for final exams. And so uh, Avery Johnson in his fourth season, they still have hopes of making the NCAA tournament. So this weekend trying to get to eight and three is going to be very, very important. But, the most, of course, the biggest storyline is going to be signing day, and we'll have a wrap-up of that next Sunday as Alabama is going to be trying to uh, wrap up another top-ranked recruiting class, at least, you know, three-quarters of it. And we've certainly gone over some of the names like Henry Tioto, Ismail Sopcher, Christian Williams, Byron Young, uh, maybe, maybe Keelan Robinson. We'll have to see because we don't know for sure uh, if he's going to wait until uh, the late signing period. But, there will be pieces out there uh, for Alabama uh, for the late signing period and where they'll reassess where they are. But certainly uh, it still looks like a very strong class. Uh, this week has been a little, the last few days have been a lot tougher than last week. But I'll tell you this, I would not trade Jeffrey Carter and Daxton Hill for Clay Webb or Kevin Kevon Thibodeau, William. No, I wouldn't either. And, um, you know, like what we talked about, they've got a lot of really good, um, you know, prospects already in this class. They've got a lot of good ones that they're still in on. And, um, you, know, it, you know, there's still going to be some drama um, after the early signing period with guys like you just mentioned with, with Henry T and Ishmael Sopcher. And, and you know, mm-hmm. maybe another one pops up. You know, there's always somebody that pops up late. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of things to look for. And, and uh, you know, also, too, um, you know, you, you've got the, uh, you know, the college football playoff, you know, cranking up here at the end of the month. And hopefully the uh, the national championship game the first week in, uh, in January. So a um, lot of things to be excited about. But, you know, I guess my question to you is, Drew, something that happened, uh, I don't know, maybe it wasn't last week, maybe it was two weeks ago. How in God's name does – Alabama's basketball team blow a 20-point lead and then turn around to a team like that and then turn around and beat Arizona? It, uh, it's completely a lack of focus against Georgia State. I was sitting in, I was sitting on press row for Georgia State. They were up by 21 at halftime, I believe it was, and 22 with 14 minutes to go. And they just took their foot off the gas. They stopped defending. I think they had, they gave up 12 to 14 layups in the second half. And then offensively, and they went through an eight- to nine-minute drought with not scoring from the field, only hitting free throws, and then and they still scored 80 points in the game. And then down the stretch, they still could have won it, but they didn't have the toughness to step up to the free throw line and knock down some big free throws, and they, or they still would have won a close game. It was the worst loss of Avery Johnson era, and I love Avery Johnson, man. He's been great to me. I love their coaching staff. But I'll be honest with you, going forward, if Avery wants to make it uh, you know, uh, you know, long term at Alabama, he's gonna have to get a bad cop asshole on his staff. And I mean, I, he just he's gonna have to make a change and get a guy in there that can teach and be the bad cop and instill some toughness. 
uh, because I think he's proven he can recruit. He's 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 in the in the three in, in now fourth year he's been there. They've overhauled the roster, so they have much better talent, but they they still kind of lack an edge at times and take their and uh, and then lose to teams they shouldn't because they they're not focused. And I think there's not enough focus on you know being hard nosed and player development. There's more focus on scouting reports, you know, uh, you know, working on de- uh, playing defense, which you have to do, and then working on, you know, defensive sets and offensive sets. It's a lot of it's an NBA approach. It's more of a scouting type approach, an opponent to opponent, instead of you know individual improvement mixed in with that, and a guy that is going to get the players' attention and improve them in practice and be hard nosed. I think that was the key to Wimp Sanderson. He was he was an asshole himself. But also, he had good teachers on his staff, like a David Hobbs, who wasn't a great head coach, but he was a hell of a teacher. And then he had a guy like Greg Polinski, who's a pro scout now, who was a very good assistant. So, you know, I just think overall, Antoine Petway is a hell of a recruiter, great guy. I think John Pelfrey has a, has a role with the big guys, but he needs, with his, uh, his third coach, to find an a-hole that is going to get in there and instill some toughness in the players if he wants to make it long-term and see it through to all these facility improvements that Greg Byrne wants to have. Because I'm going to be honest with you, Alabama fans are you know are going to continue to support the program, but if they start losing to Auburn every year, or if they're not making the tournament, you've seen what happens. They they don't they don't turn out for the games. But if you win, they turn out. But I just got to say this: Bruce Pearl's putting a lot of pressure on to the success Auburn's having, and he seems to be trying to move past the scandal. And so, uh, and if Greg Byrne wants to get this these facility improvements done that should have been done a long time ago. You're going to have to win. So Avery's got he's kind of, he's kind of hit a crossroads, and so I'm going to be really interested to see how they respond going forward this season, and then if he makes any changes going into the future. Because I think he can make it long term at Alabama, but he's got to take in some ways a more collegiate approach to everything, and not all not just an NBA type angle. But that's just my opinion from watching him for four years. Great guy, great promoter. But he probably needs to bring in another teacher to his coaching staff. Well, and while you were sitting there talking, Drew, I was just scouring around on the internet looking for some stuff. You know, um, this was the last weekend for for official visits for the early right. you know signing period, and uh, all the uh, the Clemson people have come out and are now starting to project the. Uh, you know, some people say he's a five-star running back. Most people have thrown their hands up and said he's a five-star athlete. I think a lot of people project him as a linebacker at the next level. I agree with that. Uh, but but a, a guy that, that Dabo Sweeney thought he was going to get, um, the five-star athlete, Quindarius Couch, is now being projected to Jeremy Pruitt and the Tennessee Volunteers. So mm. um, another nice pick up there for for jeremy and uh you know a nice recruiting class he's got a chance to have a top 10 class in his first first full year at tennessee he really does and i'm just going to go ahead and say this and some people would just be like i uh, probably floored by me saying it but it is official uh i do hate kirby smart or kirby freeze i should say more than i hate auburn and i hate him more than i hate tennessee and i will absolutely root for jeremy pruitt to kick his ass from this point forward, every time he plays against them, and I have no respect <laughs> for the for the guy, and I, I, I always quote, you know, uh, the uh, the Sopranos and Tony Soprano when he caught one of his guys undercutting one of the restaurants he ate at and stealing from uh, the owner and the customers, and he said, "Look, dude, you don't shit where you eat, and you definitely don't shit where I eat," and that's all Kirby Smart's done, and hopefully the karma will end up getting that. SOB one of these days, but right now he's 0 for 2 against Alabama. No matter what happens in recruiting, he has to go to bed and think about that and know that he choked twice, and uh, hopefully Nick Saban will keep this up and keep winking at him, and I'll be honest with you, Kirby probably keeps Coach Saban's juices flowing, and hopefully he'll extend Coach Saban's career and make it kind of his life's mission uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, ensure that Kirby Smart never reaches the heights of coaching that he thinks he's going to but i want to thank well, William. What, go ahead william go ahead and give it well i was just going to say one last thing since you since you went on the kirby rampage you know one thing to really pay close attention to is, is it really looks like he's having a hard time attracting um you know a proven defensive coordinator at Good least point. right now yeah yeah, yeah. and if he goes in-house and promotes glenn schumann 
um, who was a great recruiter. He's a great linebackers coach, but he's never been a defensive coordinator at any level before. And, and uh, that that that's going to be real interesting to watch because that's what te- what tell what that tells me is he is probably uh, just going to give him the title and he'll be the one calling the plays early on. Well, and we all know how that's gone at times. So. Uh, I wouldn't lose any sleep if I was a Georgia fan, though I might get some hard liquor uh, if uh, Kirby's <laughs> having to call the defenses and try to coach the team. He may have a nervous breakdown. But uh, but anyway, great show tonight. I want to thank William Redfish Barger uh, for joining us once again and uh, giving us his thoughts on recruiting and before this early signing period. I want to thank Thomas Watts for giving us his thoughts on uh, Kirby Freeze and also the West and the Eastern Division and also producing this show. And we'll come to you again next week uh, before Christmas, before our holiday, as we'll go over that early signing period and what, what results Alabama got. And we'll also preview the Oklahoma game, as uh, you know, it'll, it'll be will be right upon us, uh, that, uh, that Oklahoma, it'll be uh, just the countdown will have begun uh, for Alabama and OU in Miami, Florida. So we'll preview that game further and break it down a, little, uh, a lot more. But uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. I know our listenership continues to grow. For both my compadres, Thomas Watts and William Redfish Barger, good night and roll tide, and we appreciate you listening to BAMS Radio.